Oh my god, we've got a performance over here. You would not know that that exists unless you walk over here at a certain time. There's music and, oh my god, and there's fish spinning around, spitting out water. We just discovered that the well echoes the song that plays from Snow White's Waterfall. And is this a weenie? I guess so. I've never seen it. We're hanging out with my friend, Emily Clark Kramer, in what was once 160 acres of sprawling orange groves. Today, we know it as the happiest place on earth, Disneyland. And Emily, she's a Disney super fan, steeped in Disneyland lore. Can you tell us what a weenie is? Or, can you, or pretend I didn't say weenie. Can we talk about weenies? <laughs> well, I guess a weenie is like a magical moment that pulls you in that doesn't happen all the time and you kind of just happen upon it and it makes it more magical, a more magical experience. Some guests might stumble across it, but others might not. Part of the magic of weenies is that element of surprise. It pulls you deeper into the world of Disney, like a dog following a weenie on a stick. One really cool one is in Fantasyland, there's a sword in the stone from the sword in the stone of the movie, but also from history, What yeah, you know. And uh, <laughs> anyway, it doesn't, if you're pulling on it and lots of kids pose, adults pose for pictures, trying to pull it out, it usually doesn't budge, but sometimes it will come out. And then there's this whole big parade and Merlin used to come out and like, there's a band and they'd be like, oh my gosh, the evil queen is coming. Filthy, isn't it? Snow White never cleans it nearly well enough. Oh, also, Peter. I saw that a queen walked by earlier. And I'm so sorry that you had to see her. She was angry. She's evil, I know. Don't point that thing at me. Is that a wand? What are you doing with such magic? It's just a microphone. Is that what you call wands here? Today, we're talking about Disneyland and how its designers or Imagineers plan and build their own kind of land art. So far, we've traveled across California to desert landscapes and human-made utopias. And Disneyland, well, it's sort of the creative culmination of all of this, an immersive fantasy environment engineered by artists. It differs from land art because instead of going out into the landscape to make art, Imagineers build their own landscape from the ground up. And today, we're going to see if we can find the seams. Do you think that's the backstage entrance that the characters came out of? Must be. There's a door in the wall. Must be. For this season of Raw Material, we're driving across California, looking at art in the landscape. My name is Jessica Placzek, and I'm a reporter. My name is Maddie Gobo, and I'm a fiction writer. Together, we're looking at what art can teach us about life in the West, its past, present, and possible future. This is season three, Landfall, a production of SF MoMA. Welcome to the world of the theme park, where everything around us, characters, rides, buildings, trash cans, plants, animals, and even the water in the rivers, was designed, constructed, 
and controlled by a team of artists, all working together to create a reality that's safer and more perfect than our own. We left my aunt's house in Anaheim one hot summer morning and drove to Disneyland, where we met up with Emily, my friend, fellow artist, and Disney super fan. I went to Disney World for the first time when I was five, and then I just caught the bug. And then like, I went through a breakup, and I was like, I'm going to work at Disneyland, or at World, Disney World. <laughs> when I walked in, I was like, got chills and kind of got teared up a little bit, and I've been here a couple times. <laughs> in addition to working at Disney World, Emily's also visited Disneyland Tokyo and Disneyland many times. She also likes to go to the yearly Disney conventions. And she's not alone in her super fandom. The Imagineers have created a world that draws you in. That's a lot like land art. Remember the spillover effect we talked about in episode one? That's where the presence of an artwork imbues the landscape around it with a special meaning. Disneyland basically works by reverse engineering that effect. Instead of making you pay attention to the natural environment that was already there, Disneyland doesn't leave anything to chance. Imagineers build in every magical little detail. Even if something looks spontaneous or unplanned, it was placed there on purpose and then scheduled, scripted, calibrated, and rehearsed. You might think that that level of obsessive control would make for a boring, alienating experience. But that's not what happens at all. Bear with us, because we're about to get philosophical. Disneyland is a site of simulation. That's a term defined by the French philosopher Jean Baudrillard. Baudrillard says that in modern society, we're inundated with thousands of fictional narratives from entertainment, media, politics, and advertising. These narratives, which Baudrillard calls simulacra, are supposed to be copies of real things, like history or social relationships or personal values. But the copying process takes some liberties. Ads warp your real desire into an excuse to buy a product. Media and entertainment center some stories and ignore others. Think about it this way. Disneyland is an imitation of reality, but the limits of reality don't apply. We can travel to faraway or even imaginary places just by walking from one part of the park to the next. We can hug fictional characters or go back in time to hear Abraham Lincoln speak. Let us have faith that right makes might. Of course, that's not really Abraham Lincoln, just like New Orleans Square isn't actually New Orleans. The place is similar enough to recognize. There's familiar architecture and you can order gumbo and listen to jazz. But Disney's New Orleans is a squeaky clean version of the real thing. There's no hint of poverty or of hurricanes. Audio animatronic Abe doesn't get shot at the end of his speech. These wholesome imitations allow us to feel good about the things they represent without having to confront the messy reality. Disney guests definitely have fun inside the simulation, but for many of them, the park is meaningful too. For superfans like Emily, there's a sense that Disneyland's fakeness actually expresses some deeper truth. For this trip, we wanted to focus on one particular aspect of the park, the most ambitious simulation of them all, with real water 
and real plants and animals. It's a massive earthwork that could rival the work of any land artist. It's called the Rivers of America. To see the rivers, you can board a big white steamboat with gingerbread trim. As the boat chugs downstream, you pass through a variety of familiar landscapes. These landscapes are designed to imitate the environments of America's four major rivers, the Columbia, the Mississippi, the Missouri, and the Rio Grande. You can work up a real good sweat throwing one of those around the river. Me? I'll take the comfort of the Mark Twain Riverboat any day. The rivers are dyed green with chalk, which also makes the water opaque and hides the tracks that the steamboat actually runs on. We wanted to know more about the rivers from the designer's point of view. So we sat down with Disneyland's top Imagineer, Kim Irvine, the art director of Disneyland Park. We met her at the Hungry Bear restaurant, overlooking the Columbia River section of the Rivers of America. My name is Kim Irvine. I work for Walt Disney Imagineering as the art director here at Disneyland. I have been working for Walt Disney Imagineering for 45 years now and have the job as art director at Disneyland for the last 32. I'm a Disney brat through and through. My father was an animator at the studio and worked on all the animated films up into 101 Dalmatians. And my mom was um, also worked as an animator, but then left to have my sister and I. And when she came back, she joined Imagineering as one of the uh, first female Imagineers working in the model shop, designing and developing attractions for Disneyland. Her face is on one of the rides. That's right. She is the famous Madame Leota. Uh, mom passed away in the early 90s, and it's kind of fun to be able to walk by there early in the morning and hear her little voice still saying, hurry back. <laughs> That's right. Kim's mom was immortalized as one of the ghosts in Disney's haunted mansion. But let's get back to why we came here, the rivers of America. Walt actually put the rivers of America on the map very early on in developing Disneyland because he was riding the high of some very successful short films that actually won Academy Awards uh, called True Life Adventure Films. And um, they were like the type of films where he felt the armchair traveler could sit in his house or in a theater and actually go to Africa or go, you know, to all the different rivers of America and experience this through the eyes of the camera. And so to develop the river was an exciting idea to do four different rivers of America that guests have probably never seen before. Walt Disney wanted his park to educate people about their country, but he also wanted to help them feel good about it. The rivers condense America's complex history, geography, and ecology into a quick and pleasant boat ride. It's a simulated vision of America, where the goal is to show us only the most majestic and beautiful things about our country. I feel like people, souls, need that kind of reassurance in, in our world, that there's gorgeous places, there's beautiful, animals, there's the sounds and the smells and, you know, just being in that and breaking away from what we're used to today 
is like an ultimate vacation, right? That's what we do, is go on vacation to Hawaii or up to Montana or whatever to get away from the cities and such. And who, you know, if you sit here, aside from the construction that's going on with Star Wars Land, who could imagine that you're sitting in the middle of the metropolis of Orange County with buzzing freeways just right over that berm, you know? Because the new Star Wars land is eating up some of the old park territory, the Imagineers had to reroute the rivers. Kim has been hard at work on the redesign. Well, with this rehab, we were able to not just do plants and animals, but also do all of the rock work. We were able to do these soaring rock work cliffs that are done in the manner of what we're sitting in right now is the Columbia River. And so we get into the oaks and the pine trees and the lush, beautiful fir trees and ferns. You're in for a real treat. I've been navigating these parks for years now, but I never get tired of taking in the breathtaking beauty of the Columbia River. The majestic trees, the stunning rock formations, the cascading waterfalls, the moose, deer, and elk along the banks. It's all so magnificent and so peaceful. And then we have the type of rock work that you would see up in the Pacific Northwest. It's done in the same texture, color scheme, the way the waterfalls cut through the rocks, the way it was formed by the glaciers all those years ago. Then you move on a little bit further and go into the Missouri River where the rock work changes to a harder rock and gets into some grays and starts to really get into some cooler colors. So that is the area where we have our Indian village. Then it moves into the Rio Grande and that's where we have Big Thunder Falls and all the red rock and that's where we go into also the old mine, mine train ride um, because that's actually where that used to be is in that general area and, and uh, fans know that. <laughs> So guests really are able to feel as they move from zone to zone. They may not be able to articulate, but they can feel that it's changing. It's so funny that you started with the Columbia because I, I grew up in the Columbia River Gorge. Well, I want to make it as authentic as possible. And so since my daughter lives up in, in Portland, I go up there often. We visit a lot of these places. And one thing I've always been on the lookout for up there, banana slugs. So we made sure to make three banana slugs and put them next to a water fall there which I hope somebody will notice so far I haven't had any comments on it but that's the kind of detail we like to do is just you make sure that we cover all our bases. The immersiveness of every single land is so complete from uh, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you feel under your feet. We even changed the texture of paving so that when you were walking on it you, you feel a difference as you go from land to land music, hearing birds sing out here versus hearing banjos playing in New Orleans, you know, all those things are, are what make a full immersive experience. One wrong note, and you remember that this world isn't the real world. You wake up from a Disneyland dream. It has to be complete, and a, a, a term that we use often is no contradictions. There shouldn't be anything in that scene, wherever you look in that land, that contradicts what you would have seen in that land at that time or in that place. 
there's a zillion trash cans in our park, but they blend in beautifully. You don't see, oh, you know, just a gray can that says trash across it. They're part of the scenery. Costumes are always perfectly authentic to the time period and to the story. Kim says these costumes are authentic. But let's think about the costumes of the Lakota Indian Village on the Rivers of America. They might be perfectly researched, but it's important to remember that they're imitations, not the real thing. Disney can't imitate the cultural meanings of a real costume, but the Imagineers are willing to bet that if these imitations are convincing enough within the park's fantasy, guests won't notice the loss of meaning. We don't allow characters to be in lands where you wouldn't see them. You need to keep the animated characters in Fantasyland. We conceal everything, sprinkler heads, everything is concealed so it isn't breaking the, the continuity. In video games and in virtual reality, it's much easier to calibrate all these tiny details. But in theme parks, sometimes the natural world sneaks in. We have geese that fly in naturally, Canadian geese that were here actually during the rehab. And it was so funny because um, they would pull up all the plants when we'd put them in looking for grubs underneath. And everybody was so mad at them. I kept going, they're just geese. They can't help it. They don't know the difference between newly planted grass and where they should look. When the river was drained, I was afraid all our ducks would go away. But they just kind of hung out on the shore and waited patiently. A lot of them turned out in storybook land and on the jungle cruise. The fish, I think we've never really figured out how the fish ended up in the moat because there's huge carp in the castle moat. Unlike a lot of other rides, the rivers of America are dynamic. They can accommodate real nature within the simulation. So that when animals settle in here, they blend into the fantasy. Oh, look at that. Oh yeah, there's a heron out there. Yeah. Is it real? Yeah, that's definitely a real heron. I'm already at that point where I'm like starting to doubt reality. I'm like, I don't believe that could be a real heron. Real and fake, jungle and desert, three-dimensional and two-dimensional. Disneyland contains tons of contradictions, but we don't notice them because the Imagineers are especially careful about how we move through the different worlds within the park. Well, transition zones, which is what you're talking about, are really, really difficult because they do, all of our lands do kind of meet up with one another. Say, for instance, in Adventureland, how when they put in New Orleans Square, now they had Adventureland, Frontierland, and New Orleans Square all joining up together. That Haitian building that comes into Riverbell Terrace, which does this wonderful transition of looking southern and like it could fit in New Orleans Square. And then as it turns the corner, it looks like a Missouri Riverboat building. They're so perfect that no one would ever go, oh look, that's changing styles as it goes around the corner. It's just seamless. And in, when you're in all those lands, that building looks like it belongs there perfectly. An Imagineer's job isn't just to create beautiful designs. They have to be hypersensitive to every aspect of a guest's experience. How we feel when we enter the park versus when we leave it. Where we're most comfortable or uncomfortable. What memories we take with us. For Kim, her job at Disneyland is meaningful because she gets to give people their heart's desire. I think people, they're searching for reassurance that everything's going to be okay. They're searching for optimistic 
environments where you're not afraid to go into it. Like you look at the stores on Main Street, all those shops have huge big picture windows in the front to look in. It was very optimistic architecture. Kim describes Disneyland as a refuge from the chaos of our reality, a safe, comfortable place where the stories are familiar and the rules are clearly defined. But providing comfort isn't the only thing Disneyland does. Its power is more far-reaching than that. The key is in this idea of optimistic architecture. The Imagineers build a better past in order to create a better present for the park's visitors. And I think it's so cool the way people at Disneyland, our guests, actually interact with one another. Unlike out on the street where you just walk by and don't even smile at each other, they see that they're all in this together. They're in this movie together, right? And so they actually talk to each other in the lines. They ask where each other's from. They smile at each other. They, they you know, laugh together. And I think that's what people need today is to feel like we're all in this together. <laughs> but the thing is, Kim's vision of Disneyland as this big kumbaya moment is a fantasy too. It doesn't describe our actual experience. Other than paid cast members, we didn't talk to anyone in the park. Maybe it's different when you go with kids and you're not lugging around a giant microphone. But inside the simulation, it isn't our real experience that matters. What matters is the story we're being told about the experience we're supposed to have. If that story is told well, and told over and over again, eventually we believe it. And we'll go one step further. We'll make ourselves a part of it. Once that happens, there's no longer any difference between the real and the simulation. So like you're saying, the guests who come in here, become, they want to become characters. Yeah, yeah. They're the actors and actresses in our story. Howdy, folks. Welcome aboard the grand wormhole tour of this beautiful park we call the Observable Universe. I'm your captain conductor, Merle Cravenhoff, up here in the crow's nest. Folks, our ship today is a true marvel, the only one of its kind. We have six sets of wheels, a propeller, two jet engines, some giant magnets, a nuclear reactor, and, just in case, a fully functioning coal furnace. We have a long ride ahead of us, so please stay seated and keep your hands, arms, feet, and other appendages inside the gravity field. And folks, please remember to blindfold your children. The cosmos can be unpredictable in these parts, and we'd sure hate to lose anyone to space madness. <gasps> Folks, I mean it. If you get queasy, just close your eyes and whistle a little tune. De adeveras, en serio, damas y caballeros, si se empiezan a marear, solo cierren sus ojos y canten o chiflen una pequeña canción. Secure cargo, all folks aboard. Engine room ahead, three quarters. Up, up, and away! If you folks can take a look below, you'll see we're flying over the good old U.S. of A, home to your favorite presidents and Hollywood stars. 
There's the Statue of Liberty, or maybe it's a mega skyscraper. Either way, would you folks join me in a hearty Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America! We're now reaching the outer stratosphere, so folks, please secure your oxygen masks. Think about this, folks. Everyone you ever knew and loved is somewhere on the big blue marble. But there it goes, getting smaller and smaller. Makes you feel pretty insignificant, doesn't it, folks? Shooting stars! Planets! Asteroids! We're getting a heck of a show today, folks! Say, folks, what's that churning rift in space up ahead? Uh-oh, looks like we've reached the wormhole. We'll have to go faster if we want to come out in one piece. Hang on to your molecules, folks. Faster. 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 Here we go! Folks? Folks? Is everyone here? Let me get a quick head count and other body parts. Does anyone suddenly have a twin? Has anyone turned to vapor? Fantastic! Now sit back, relax, and we'll have you back on solid ground shortly. Folks, I've got to level with you. As I said before, our ship is one of a kind. But below us, there's an identical ship, docked where we're supposed to dock. And hang on, I'll take a look through my spyglass. It looks like... that's me! Looking back! And you're there too! And you, and you! And all you folks! As stated in our terms of service, time loops and other metaphysical anomalies are common hazards of interdimensional travel. But we have everything perfectly under control. And there we go, folks. Wave a bye-bye. But folks, please keep those hands inside the gravity field until we've come to a full and complete stop. On behalf of our entire crew, I want to thank you for riding with us today. It's best not to think too hard about what you just saw. So long, folks! Maddie and I both went to Disneyland as kids, and while some of the rides were scary or made us sick, Honestly, those memories of the park are some of the most potent memories I have. That's thanks to simulation, creating a fantasy that's shinier and more convincing than our real experiences outside the park. It's incredible to think how much Disney was able to shape our childhood memories. And that's a lot of power for a corporation. Baudrillard says that Disneyland is basically this big interactive simulation that was designed to teach its visitors about the American way of life, 
our culture, values, politics, and morals. The America that Disneyland depicts with its Main Street and its Hall of Presidents and the Rivers of America isn't the America of today, but it's not the America of Walt Disney's 1950s either, at least not for most people. The truth is, Baudrillard says, America never existed. It's a simulation too. According to him, we're all kids playing make-believe. The storytelling power of art should not be underestimated. Because Disneyland immerses us in its stories, we remember them as if they were real. Baudrillard warns that if we don't figure out a way to our own truth, we'll be stuck inside someone else's stories forever. Land art creates similar immersive spaces, but it usually lets the natural world speak for itself. Nancy Holt's sun tunnels are activated by the motion of the stars, and Smithson's spiral jetty appears and disappears with the tides. Land art doesn't tell us how we should read it. It calls us out into the wilderness, where we're free to discover its story or write one of our own. All that said, we still had a great time. Even knowing that almost everything we saw was artificial, mechanized, or scripted didn't take away from moments of real joy. So we're going to leave this episode in New Orleans Square, where we have just been approached by some pirates. Ahoy! Ahoy! What you are doing? We're making we're, a podcast. Yeah, we're making for, a radio show. What's it called? It's called Raw Material. It's for SF MoMA. Museum of Modern Art. In San, in San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. Raw it's material. Hot. Yes. So you are looking at the plants and the... Uh, what else is raw around here? Oh, you could find raw fish in the rivers. What's your favorite okay. drinking song? 15 men on a dead man's chest. All right. That's it for this week's episode of Raw Material. She gets what she wants. I'm Jessica Plachek. I'm Maddie Gobo. Raw Material is a production of SF MoMA. Ellery Kramer composed our theme music, and in this episode, Scott Hunter composed all our other music. Except, of course, this song. You know you gotta sing. Oh, Yo-ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. You have to sing better than that. Can't Not a good singer. Not with that attitude. We'll be back in two weeks. The bait was fixed with the bosun's hike. 